It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the GM Shuffle. There was a sign that when you left Bakersfield, California and went to Vegas, there was a, a restaurant there that said, eat here, we both starve. Because there was no place else to eat going forward, I think Baker's at that sign. You know, I think make a deal with Carolina, or you're not going to, or you're going to starve. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. Michael, you are off in the Key West for a nice little vacay as the NFL offseason yeah. is underway. Well, there's a vacay, but then the GM shuffle doesn't stop. I, oh, I mean, yeah. look, it's, uh, yeah, I'm down here in the Keys. I'm enjoying it. I'm following things around. Uh, you know, I was a huge, I, I've always been a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, been to many concerts. I took my boys when they were little to, and made them into uh, to the Parrothead Nation and saw it. So when you're here, you, you feel Buffett, you feel Hemingway, you feel Tennessee Williams. And I was just over at the Truman White House, which I didn't even know was here until I, before I started to come down here, which was incredible. I was on a mm-hmm. tour uh, with this man, Bob, who was an expert. Uh, Bob was also a part-time comedian. I urge anybody, if you go to Key West, go to the Truman Library. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to the Hemingway Museum, which I plan on spending a lot of time. So it's fun. It's great. It's it, it's a little like New Orleans. You can walk everywhere, right? Because yep. it's so small. Great restaurants, you know, but it, different than New Orleans because you got the, the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic Ocean right there. So it's been a lot of fun and, and we're enjoying ourselves. I got my man, Pat, who's a, a really the most interesting man in America. He's here joining us along with Bernadette and Millie and I, so we're having a good time. Nice, yeah. The the, the Truman Library prompted you to even tweet out some Billy Joel lyrics. I saw that this morning. Yeah, you're getting it going. I try to put some lyrics next to everything. Like I was, you know, the first I, I walked on to Caroline Street. You know, I've never been here before, Femi. So when I went to Caroline, I saw Caroline Street and Buffett had a song. Uh, you know, there's a woman going crazy on Caroline Street. So, you know, I just so then I just said, oh, let me put some lyrics to everything I see. So it's there good. Go. I, I enjoy it. You know, Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray. I mean, I love that song. <laughs> we didn't start the fire. 
You didn't start it either, Femi, so it's good. No, no, I, I didn't start it, but hey, we're sitting here trying to fight it on the GM shuffle. Um, as always, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Tweet at Michael at M Lombardi NFL. You can tweet at me at Femi Abebefe. Uh Elliot Bowman, our producer, filling in for Stephen Bond today as we get this thing rolling here on June 16th. All right, Michael, you're down there in the Key West. It's a little bit of work with the play as well because I saw you met up with your buddy Arkansas men's head basketball coach Eric Musselman, your son Matt's down there. I mean, you've been picking the brains of a lot of the coaches that we have across the sports here. Yeah, well, you know, Muss and I go back to when he was the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. He uh, had gotten fired. He was a young head coach, and I was at the Raiders, and I, Fran Frischella said, you two guys should get together and become friends, and we did, and we have been friends since then. And, you know, I gave him an office at the Raiders. He came in, but he was a diligent diligent, curious coach then. And he still is. I mean, he reads so many clips on leadership. He's got so many questions. He goes, loves talking to baseball coaches. So it was great to be around him. And I learned quite a bit about, about the game, about college basketball, the NIL, all the things that are going on. So it was a lot of fun for me to, to be there. So, yeah, you know, I think the part of the off season is about trying to connect with people when they have more time to talk to you, whether mm-hmm. it's the coaches in football or coaches in basketball. And, and I love basketball coaches. I mean, I, I, I love talking to them. I love, you know, listening to them. I try to help a couple coaches around the country in that area. So, you know, it's it's a it's a lot of fun for me. And, and being part of it is just a way to give back to what, what I've been able to learn from the people that I've that I've learned from, from Walsh, Belichick and, and of course, the great Al Davis. It's interesting to me because you oftentimes see this throughout the offseason, coaches talking to other coaches, whether it's in basketball, like you mentioned, or baseball, other sports, um, just to kind of pick the brains. Like, How important is that? Because I know as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I always saw Jason Garrett go down to Duke to, co- to talk to Coach K when he was the head coach. Or this yeah. recently, Nick, Sir- 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 uh, Nick Sirianni is talking to Jay Wright, the now retired Villanova men's basketball coach. Like th- This is something that a lot of coaches go to to pick the brains of others to gain a little bit of knowledge and kind of fine tune those leadership skills. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you, you talk to them and then you've got to work it into your own culture and work it into what you're doing and try to kind of fit that, their idea, how it fits to your program. It's not all going to be, Hey, I'm just taking that idea and stealing it and put it in here. I think it's, it's, it's learn something and then process it, go back, study it, and then see how does it affect me? Whether it's a high school coach, when you go to a clinic or you listen to a coach on YouTube. I mean, this YouTube thing is just remarkable. You can mm-hmm. get so much done just listening to the press conferences, you know, the hockey coaches, the Cooper, the lightning coach is sensational when you read stuff about him. So I, I think it's it's fascinating. And and the beautiful thing, Femi, is you don't have to rely on an article. You can just go right to the source and listen to yep. coaches talk in their press conference and learn something from it. So it's been great for me. And and I love it. I just love it. And I learned so much from him. And, and Muss is great. And you can see why he's been so successful at Arkansas. I mean, two elite, two elite eights. And I told him, I mean, you know, they're not going to have a first round pick in the NBA draft coming up. But he's got to the elite eight because he bought his team buys into what he's saying. Yeah, he was really good at Nevada as well as a head coach. I made it sweet 16 with the Wolfpack up there in Reno. Um, one thing that we did learn in the NFL is we learned that the trade talks are starting to heat up with one Baker Mayfield, the former number one overall pick in the 2018 draft class. Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, he's our NFL insider out there, reported that the trade talks are heating up between the Browns and the Carolina Panthers. Uh, What are you hearing around the league with this Mayfield potentially going to Carolina, which would set up quite the event in week one with the Panthers hosting the Browns there? 
Well, I don't think the Panthers are trading Sam Darnold for Baker Mayfield. I, that, that's not the case. I, I think the Panthers feel like Sam Darnold in this offseason with Ben McAdoo, who's done a really good job of coming in and kind of building the offense around the skill set of the team. And, you know, I, I think they want to see where Sam Darnold can get to. Now, a lot of people have dismissed Darnold, but I think when you go over the his career, you know, I, I think he's you know, he's obviously got a lot to prove. And this is the dead end. This is the road either he does it or he doesn't. But the, I think they want to create competition. Scott Federer, the defensive, the excuse me, the, the general manager of the Panthers, Matt Rule, I think they want competition. I think they want to stack as many guys as they can on top of one another at the quarterback position. So the Donald for Mayfield rumor to me is just a bad rumor. Uh, this is a three-part trade, right? So you've got to get Baker, who's due to make $18 million. Mm-hmm. You've got the Browns to agree to what are they going to pay or how much will they take or will they not take. And then you've got to agree to compensation. I get the sense that they've been able to get work some of those details out. I think they're probably not quite to finish the deal, but I think they're the only team. I think if Baker realizes he's the, there's only one place to go, which gives him the opportunity to A, to compete, to be a starter, and B, to build a career going forward, that Carolina might be the best place. I mean, Carolina is building this kind of culture that nobody believes us Nobody thinks we're going to be any good. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody sees us. And so, you know, they've got some good pieces there. I mean, they've got some good defensive pieces. They've got some good offensive pieces if they can keep McCaffrey healthy. So, you know, that that mentality is going to serve them well. But I I think Baker's got to understand that. So I I think the Browns and the Panthers probably have have got to can get a deal worked out. I think it's the other elements that need to get finished before this closes. And I will say this. I don't think Seattle's in this at all. Mm. I think Seattle truly likes Drew Locke. I, I think they Ooh. really believe. I, I was told, you know, reliably a couple of weeks ago that that John Schneider, the general manager of the Seattle, really loved Drew Locke coming out of college. And so if that's true and they want to go down this road with Drew Locke, I, I don't see them being in the Mayfield Derby. You know, they're not there. So who else is in it? And then you've got Garoppolo. You know, you still have Garoppolo out there that needs a place to go, and he's got 24 million, and the 49ers need to get rid of that cap number. Now they can't; they could cut him, but they know they'll probably. Then I think Seattle might be interested in him, from what I'm told. But I do think the Mayfield deal is kind of in that final stages where you know there was a sign that when you left Bakersfield, California, and went to Vegas, there was a, a restaurant there that said "Eat here, we both starve." because there was no place else to eat going forward. I think Baker's at that sign. You know, I think make a deal with Carolina or you're not going to, or you're going to starve. I think that's kind of the sense that I'm getting and listening to what people are telling me. So I wouldn't be surprised if it happened in the next five, six days. It may take two weeks. I just think it will get done because I think it serves best interest for both parties. Yeah. We, we always say on this show that it's all about the money. It's always about the money. Is that yeah. kind of again with the there? money, Femi? Again with the money, again Femi. With the yeah, money. it's always it's it's always <laughs> about the money. I mean, it's always about the money. But I I, I think you know, in fairness to Baker, I, I think you know you're guaranteed to make X amount. Yeah. And you know, you're and people are asking you to 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 walk away from a guarantee. You know, but you've got to. But that's not smart. And I you know, it's hard to get a player to do that, right? But mm-hmm. you've got to be able to paint a picture of where that number can go to. And I don't think anybody's trying to screw anybody. I think certainly there's a way to make up money that you lost instead of it being guaranteed. It's just based on competition and playtime. 
I mean, if you're Baker, what what options do you have? You know, you've got to put yourself in position to launch your career. And yeah. you got to go there. And the same thing with Sam Darnold. He's got to, he's got to launch his career. I mean, you got Mayfield and Darnold if they go together in, in Carolina, which, you know, if that happens, let them both figure out who's the best player. You we, know, and I've often said this, Femi, fear does the work of reason. Fear does the work of reason. So when two players are fearful that their their careers are at stake, you're going to get the best version of that player. No, I think that's a great point there, especially from Sam Darnold's case as well there, where this was seen almost like the last destination for him as a NFL starter out there in Carolina. Um, what does this do for the Panthers as a team, though? Because we've talked about the NFC South in the, in the, in the recent weeks here, talking about how Tampa Bay is the favorite for sure. New Orleans is a really talented team. We like their roster. But if Carolina is able to get Baker Mayfield, let's say he beats out Sam Darnold in a QB competition in training camp. What does that mean for their team? Like, How good can this team be? Could they possibly be a wild card team? Or is this kind of maybe hovering around 500? Well, I, I think it gives them, you know, look, Baker, if, if you said to me, who's a better player, Darnold or Mayfield, I would say Baker Mayfield's had better tape. I mean, he took a team to the playoffs two years ago. He was hurt last year. I mean, he's had moments. He's had a better career in the NFL than Sam Darnold. And, and they're both not perfect, but I think it's behooving of the Panthers to figure out, you know, both of them can run this similar offense. So it's not going to be a question of, well, we got to run this for Baker. we got to run this for Sam. I mean, both of them need to be in a really good play action pass scheme, you know, hard play action. They've got to feature McCaffrey. He's got to stay healthy. The guys play 10 games in the last two years. They've got to get their best players to play well, but they have skill. You know, DJ Moore last year, I think he was at 62% of the percentage of ratio in terms of attempts to catches, which is too low for a guy with that much talent. So it means you got to get better quarterbacking. I think it helps them defensively. You know, when you go back and study the Panthers, they were in a lot of games last year in the into the third quarter. I mean, Philadelphia, they had a chance. They blow that late. You know, New England, they turned the ball over. Sam was horrible in that game and made just really bad decisions. I mean, if they can get control of that, their defense was pretty good. They started 3-0 and and then faded. They faded the last two years down the stretch, and I think they know that, and they got to fix that. So could they be a wild card team? Yeah. I mean, look, they're in the South. I mean, why not? You know, there we know this. There's always, what, there's always 14, how many teams that make the playoffs yep, 14, every year? Yeah. 14. You know, we know that there's 50% of those teams don't return, so somebody's got to take that place. Why not, Carol? If they get it, Based on their talent level, if they can get any quarterbacking play without turning the ball over as much as they did, they've got a chance. If you're John Schneider, because that was the first thing that I thought of when I saw this report of Mayfield, the trade talks heating up with Carolina. I was like, man, Seattle, you mentioned they love Drew Locke. Uh, I mean, to each his own. We all have what we see. The beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm not a fan of Drew Locke. Um, I think no. that's a, a road <laughs> less traveled there. I'm like, I'm not going to try to go down that path. But are, are the Seahawks just going to stink in 2022? I mean, I, I can't uh, see that uh, team being very good if Drew Locke is going to be the starter for 17 games. I can't either. And I think there's a fine line, right? And I have great respect for John Snyder. I think John works hard. He's diligent. He does his job really well. I mean, you know, he doesn't, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. So we could mm -hmm. sit here and criticize anybody. But the reality of it is, is to me, there's a point where if I liked a player in college and I've watched his pro tape, you know, I've got to be honest with myself to say, you know what, I think I missed on that guy. And if I if I like Locke, which I wasn't in love with Locke coming out, John obviously was. I think at some point you got to say, wait a minute, this this isn't good. You know, Darnold's pro tape isn't very good. 
Mayfield's pro tape's better. Locke's pro tape doesn't match his college tape. And I think that's that fine line. Now, what you what often happens, Femi, is you get into this, which I explained about Darnold and McAdoo. Can McAdoo get Darnold to play better? I mean, he's been through a lot of coaches, you know, and he's been through a lot of systems. Can he get him to stop making that critical mistake in a game where you say, "Don't why, why are you throwing the ball there? Like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we throwing the game away? And I think it's the same thing with Locke. Can they coach that out? I think it's going to be hard, but you know that that's where they're going now. What happens in August after Locke goes out in the preseason or in training camp and doesn't play well? I think then you've got to readjust it, and that's probably part of what Mayfield's saying. Look, if I take this deal now, you know maybe Seattle's going to give me the full thing down the road, but yeah. are they? And then now you're, you're you're you to have a great year, you can't walk into a team at the end of August and think you're going to be able to run their offense effectively. You're going to be, and it's going to be too hard. You got to get in there now. Yeah. And and that's why we're probably going to see some of the urgency with a potential Baker Mayfield deal to Carolina there. Uh, Because like you said, they got to get him in there to get him involved. And the mini camps are this week. So uh, the mini camp window is slowly, but surely closing here, but training camp is on the horizon in late July. Let's take a quick break on the other side. I want to talk to you about a quarterback who plays in Texas and one who's, from the state of Texas next year. This is the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. All right, Michael, we've been talking about the Arizona Cardinals quite a bit here on the GM Shuffle. Yeah. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury spoke with the media earlier this week. He said, quote, he's praying that a deal gets done before training camp for one Kyler Murray. Now, Kyler, after missing the first week of OTAs, he has come back and shown up for the weeks two and weeks three and also for the mini camp. Kyler Murray is a part of the offseason program here. But Kingsbury out there, they share the same agent. And I'm not sure if the Cardinals organization appreciates those comments, but the pressure is on for them to get something done with our guy, Kyler Murray. You know, in the NBA, I think that, and I don't know if they still have this rule, but there was a time in the NBA where the agents could represent the executives and the players. They had to make a decision. Either you do the coaches or you do the players. You can't do both because there's kind of a conflict of interest when you do both. Right. So, you know, Kingsbury is represented by the agent for Murray, you know, getting the information going through back and forth. I still don't understand uh, Fem, why, why they're in such a rush? Like, what's the urgency? Like, like there is a disconnect between his body language and 
what and and being the leader of the team. You know, the other night when I was watching the the NBA game, we it was fun. I was sitting with Musselman, so we were all watching the final go. game. It was great. It was like, you know, you're watching a different game when you're watching it with somebody who knows. You know, mm-hmm. he's calling out the plays, low pick and roll, what's going on. And so it was it was great. It was educational for me and and kind of but the body language, I don't know if you noticed this, but the body language of Steph Curry in that game was horrible was horrible. Like, I thought it was bad. Now, I said to uh, Tom, Tom Crean, the former coach at, at, at Georgia and Indiana, I, I sent him a text. I said, did you notice the body language? He said, hey, no matter how great of a player you are, when you don't shoot well, your body language gets bad. Yeah. And, and I kind of thought that. But Murray's body language has been always bad. And then I was reminded when Buda Baker got injured, like everybody ran out on the field to see Buda because I guess it was a really bad injury. But if you go back and look, the only guy who didn't was Kyler Murray. The only guy who didn't was Kyler Murray. Like, how does that show leadership? Like, how are you in such a rush to give this guy all this money when you know he's never been? A, I mean, go back to Oklahoma and you can ask anybody. Like, I'm not against Kyler Murray. I think the guy's sensational when he's on the move. Beep, beep. Mm. I'm talking about him as a leader. And when you give your, this guy all the money, you, you got to get more than just good play on the field. You got to get leadership. I mean, you got to get leadership. You got to get the things that matter most. And I, I don't know if he's going to endear himself to his teammates. You know, go back and see that Buda Baker clip. You know, and he's sitting there staring straight ahead. Is that yeah. what you want? Is that what you're going to give forty five million to, and then come back to it? I, I don't see it. I mean, the Ravens are not rushing to pay Lamar. Lamar's not in any rush. Like, what's the big deal? George Young, the former general manager of the Giants, used to say, football players play football. I mean, he's going to play. Where's he going to go? Oh, I mean, a- he's already unhappy on the field when he had his contract. Now, you think he's going to be happier? And I, I think that's why they're trying to do it, is to make him happy. And you know what Kyler Murray reminds me of? Um, back in the day, which is about five, six years ago, when I used to play pickup basketball consistently. And sometimes, I'm not a basketball player. I played football in high school, played basketball in middle school. But I can do some things out there on a pickup game, a little, uh, little pickup hoops. And there's always the guy that you have on a team that maybe is more talented than everybody else. But you hated playing with him because he would always get pissed off at the teammates. And said, hey, like, why didn't you set that screen? Or why didn't you rebound this? And, like, the body language thing and just, like, the de- overall demeanor was, like, I'm just better than the rest of you guys. Why don't you guys keep up with me? And that's almost a situation where we find ourselves with this Arizona Cardinals team where Kyler Murray, who's been used to winning, going back to high school, he's a Texas high school football legend. He won quite a bit at Oklahoma, won a Heisman Trophy, now is in an adverse situation in the NFL where it's not always sunshine and roses and butterflies. This is a hard league to win in, and I'm not sure if he is someone that just absolutely hates losing to the point to where he can't work with others. But he almost feels like one of those guys to me that you just, you see the talent, you acknowledge the talent. I'm on the record. I like Kyler Murray, the talent. I get seduced by it. But the leadership and the demeanor, I do agree with you that he just seems like a guy that doesn't really galvanize the entire organization, which is what you'd want from your franchise quarterback. I mean, look, the, you know, the Buda Baker is uh, one of the most beloved players on the team. He had that injury, and, and it, the guy who's going to run out, and every player went out on the field except him. What does that tell you? 
mean, what do you need to know? Like, you, you, you don't have to be Columbo here to figure this out. Like, I mean, just look at it. it. It's right in front of you. But Steve Kime and I mean, they're, they're, as you said, you put it perfectly. They're getting seduced by the talent. And then once you pay this guy and he gets his coin, do you really think you're going to get another level? Is he going to turn it on and become a different leader? He, he wasn't that. You talk to some of his teammates at Oklahoma. You talk to people that were in the Elite Eight with him. You talk to anybody who's been on the car, the backup quarterbacks at Arizona, and they're like, he doesn't even acknowledge them. He doesn't even acknowledge their presence. And, and so to me, it, it, he plays like a baseball player. Baseball players, mm-hmm. they worry about their average. They worry about their air. You know, I mean, they oh. can be a little bit of a – but when you're the quarterback of the team, you got to be able to build unity and, and camaraderie with your teammates. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see it. I, I really don't. But look, to each his own. I, I know they're sitting there saying, and this is the cancer of the profession. Oh, if we don't sign them, what are we going to do? Yeah. If you sign them, what are you going to do? You know, if you sign them, what are you going to do? It, it happens in the NBA. Oh, we got to sign this guy because we, you know, if we don't get him back, and then all of a sudden, you know, Oklahoma City's getting more first round picks because they're taking on these shitty contracts. You know, because you because <laughs> you had to do it, right? <laughs> it's it's remarkable. Yeah, no, it's it. Kyler, the talent, I think he has that stuff figured out. And obviously, he can get better as a player. But in terms of galvanizing and being a leader, and it, it's tough. And I, I'm just reading what I've seen from an outsider. I'm not inside that locker room. I don't know Kyler Murray personally. Maybe he's a great guy, and he just kind of has you know a, a resting bitch face. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Well, but I, I don't it's, think I, you know. I've researched <laughs> it a lot. I mean, it's not there. And you're right. Like body language matters. Like every time I talk to coaches, all the time, like your body language matters. You, you mm-hmm. know, when you when you're sitting there on the sideline and you're acting disgusted or you're doing the John Gruden, you know, sour puss face. I mean, the, p- people feed off of it. I, I showed a clip. I gave a presentation the other day to some coaches and they asked Coach Landry. They, the, the, Coach Landry got inducted to the Ring of Honor in Dallas before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And Terry Bradshaw gave an interview to was interviewing him and they it, uh, Addressed the question. They said, Coach Landry, like, you, you know, you showed no emotion on the field and you showed no emotion after a big play or a bad play. And he said to me, and Coach Landry said, the number one thing I needed to do was concentrate. And so I was always concentrating. That's where my body language showed the team that I was concentrating on the next play. Good, bad, poor, great. Not what the next play was really all that mattered. And when you study Coach Landry, like I have for this new book, you know, you know that he put in the offense, he put in the defense, he worked with the kicking game. I mean, he did it all. He was, he truly did everything. And so his focus and concentration, much like Belichick is there. And I would say to most coaches, look, I know football is an emotional sport. I know it's a lot of, you know, you've got to build yourself, but it's also, you've got to concentrate and focus and you, and that language and that body language you use, your team feeds off on it. I mean, you know that Draymond Green was bitching at Steve Kerr during the season. Steve, every time you turn, we turn the ball over, you get a big puss on your face and start shrinking your shoulders. It affects us, you know, and, and I think he's right. And so for me, Murray, I think he affects it. And if you're an executive and you see this and you're still willing to give him $45 million, God bless. Yeah, it's there in the quite the quandary. We'll see what they do. Um, you mentioned Coach Landry of the former great – Hall of Fame coach for the Dallas Cowboys there. They could use somebody like him now. And so they have a coach, Mike McCarthy, there. And Mike McCarthy earlier this week spoke with the media at the mini camp, which is now broke for the Dallas Cowboys. They won't be on the field until they get to Oxnard for training camp. But he said that they're going to try to incorporate 
Dak Prescott's legs more in this 2022 season. Now, last year we knew Dak was coming off of that horrific fractured ankle that he suffered in 2020. But what do you make of this? Dak Prescott, because as a fan, I wanted to see him move a little bit more there because I think that's another element to his game that they didn't really tap into. And I get it. He had the ankle thing that he was coming back from. Then he had the calf mid season that he never really got over. Um, I thought in the second half of the season, but what do you make of Prescott now going back to the mobility that we saw earlier in his career, in addition to what he can do from the pocket? I think it has to be strategic. I, I think unless you're Josh Allen and you're bigger than most of the linebackers in the league now and, and you can kind of dish it out, I think it's still you run the risk of getting hurt. But I do think you have to demonstrate the ability to, that your quarterback can run. And why is that? Okay, so what's the key down in football, right? The key down in football is third down. So we know that, like, for example, Cooper Cup, as great of a year as he had last year, he had 81 third down conversions with catches. That's remarkable, right? It's just flat out remarkable. And so and everybody knows the ball's going to cup. So when they double cup, the in and out, do all that stuff. But when your quarterback doesn't move, it, it helps you on third down because you don't have to worry about him running for the first down. This is what affected Russell Wilson last year. When Russell didn't move and convert third downs, he had the lowest third down conversion rate of his career last year in Seattle. You know, the defenses can play two man. They can turn their back on the quarterback. They're not worried about it. You know, and so when you have the threat of the run, and I'm not saying call quarterback draw every third and five. I'm saying, hey, if the right tackle sets wrong and a guy gets beat and you can take it to the corner, go. you got to take it. And all of a sudden, that kind of takes the starch out of the defense and say, okay, look, let's just play some, let's keep our eyes on the quarterback a little bit more here. You know, and, and there's a balance that has to be there. So and I think it's a smart play for Dallas. I wish they would utilize Zeke more in the running passing game. I was asking somebody a couple of weeks ago about Zeke in the passing game. And, you know, people, I think people misread Zeke a lot. I, and I certainly do. But apparently Zeke is a force in that locker room. Like mm-hmm. the players look up to him. He's a true leader on that team. He works diligent. He's in there with Prescott every morning watching tape, going over things, doing the stuff he has to do, you know, and I think as his game, and he's a power back now, he's not quite the elusive back that he is. And Pollard, who's a little bit limited in protection, affects him. And I think what Zeke does too, because of the wrist and the injuries he sustained, it affects his ability to protect. So they've got to make up for that lack of loose play from Zeke with with Prescott's feet. And I I think they, they need to do it. I mean, look, let's face it. I think I don't know how you feel, but if the, you think the Cowboys are going to win the East and you think the Cowboys have any chance to advance to the playoffs, Prescott is the MVP might not be a bad play. Yeah, no, I mean, you already know he's going to get the, the publicity if the Dallas Cowboys are really good since they're America's team. They're always at the front of mind when it comes to NFL content there. But I thought like the point about you made about Zeke is really why I wanted to see more from Dak as a runner because I think that can really ignite this running game. I don't know if you can do some read option stuff in the red zone or what have you because we're seeing quarterbacks being implemented into the ground game. I mean, look at the game last year between the Bills and the Chiefs. I mean, you had Josh Allen. He had 68 rushing yards. Patrick Mahomes had 69 rushing yards. They were the leading rushers for their teams in that game that was 42 to 36. Quarterback movement and being an athlete at the position can give you that extra level, which can maybe combat some of that too high stuff that we saw early on kind of flummox those young QBs. You know, and and, and you have to do it. Like, Josh, you you know, you sit there and you call – uh, uh, you call a a coverage where your defense is turned to Josh Allen. That's a problem. But what really becomes the problem is if you don't coordinate your pass rush like a dance team. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you're rushing Josh Allen, you know, you've got to say to your right end, you've got to rush this way and force him to his to his right. Or you've got to say to the left end, you've got to rush him inside and we got to move him to his left. Like that's the choreographing that needs to take place. I don't think enough defensive coordinators in the league spend time with the defensive line coach really going over that. Like yep. you control the quarterback how you control the rush. And guys like Mahomes and guys like Allen, they hurt you. And if you get that out of out of Dak, it'll open up some things. And and I, I think the question mark for me is, can Kellen Moore advance himself to another level as a coordinator? And I, I'm not sure that he can. I think he needs a little bit of help. I think I wish McCarthy would be more involved with it. We shall see. Yeah, and it's a big year for Kellen Moore there because the wide receiver situation is not as good as it was heading into last season. Amari Cooper's now in Cleveland. Cedric Wilson's in Miami. You have Michael Gallup coming off the ACL. So a lot of the weight is going to be placed on CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz. CeeDee Lamb has said he's ready to be the number one wide receiver. Well, we're going to find out week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Kellen Moore has to get creative because he doesn't have the mismatches across the board like they might have had in years past there. So the Dallas Cowboys, always interesting. I think he needs to prove that he can get the ball to his best player. I mean, last year, you know, uh, I mean, here's the thing you got to say to you. (laughs) Here's the thing you got to say to yourself. Everybody knows Cooper Cup's getting the ball, and yet he still gets it. Yep. You know, and and he had what? I think he had 169 targets. He had what? Like, I don't know. He led the league in catches, right? So the numbers were incredible. You know, everybody. Hunter Renfro was getting the ball, and yet he still had an 82% uh, of getting it. You know, it's how you utilize them, what you do to motion them, how you get them in the formations. And and I think they've got to do a better job of that. When the game, like one thing you hang around like guys like Musselman and Cree, you know, the one thing basketball coaches always say, and, and Musselman's really was affected by the great Chuck Daly, is we got to get the ball to our best player when the game's on the line. Like we mm-hmm. can't have somebody take a shot that, that can't make it. You, you got to get the ball to your best receiver when the game's on the line. Yeah. yeah, and that's to me, that was one of my biggest frustrations with the Dallas Cowboys offense last year. I mean, CeeDee Lamb led the team at targets with 120. In no world, and I think Dalton Schultz is a nice player, but in no world should Dalton Schultz and Amari Cooper have the same amount of targets. You're just doing something wrong philosophically from an offensive standpoint there, both of them with 104 targets. I thought that Cooper, he has his injuries and he's had his issues, but that's a guy that you got to get him the football, and they didn't do that enough last year, and uh, unfortunately, things kind of didn't pan out after they won the division. Yeah, you know what I think about Cooper? What I think it's interesting, they they tell me Cooper really, this is fun, you're going to laugh at this, right? But one of the things about Cooper, he disappears in games, and sometimes he disappears because he takes himself out. Like, mm. I'm told reliably he hates cold weather. <laughs> Think about that, Femi. Think about what I just said. He hates cold weather. He's playing in Cleveland next year, Femi. Yeah. He hates cold weather. <laughs> I had, I've had my game, suspicions. Um, he had a funny... <laughs> where he, he came out because it's too cold. And yeah. he's playing in Cleveland next year, and he's making $20 million a year. For all the, the junk you want to throw at Moore, and I do too. I killed Moore. I mean, I, I'm critical of Moore, but I think you got to be more critical of Cooper because I'm not sure Cooper wants it. He doesn't like cold weather, Femi. I have sneaky suspicions about that because when he first got to the Cowboys, when the Raiders traded him to Dallas, and Aaron Andrews asked him a question after one of the games. It was after the Eagles game late in the season when Dallas kind of really uh, positioned themselves to win the division back in 2018. And she asked him, hey, what's this been like, this ride the last six games, now you're in Dallas? He said, 
the one thing that he said, he said, I mean, the facilities have been awesome. And all, like, he was talking about the facilities. So me and my brother, we have a running joke. We call my, Armani Cooper Mr. Facilities because he likes to play indoors on the fast surface there. And any cold weather game, it's a little dicey. And the one thing that always sticks in my mind, the end of the 2019 season there, Cowboys were at Philadelphia. It's kind of, you know, it's late in the season, Philadelphia. Uh, it's always cold weather. And on yeah. the last drive, there was a fourth down there for Dallas to try to tie the game up. I believe it was. And Cooper was on the sidelines. And that yep, to me, that always out. stuck with me. I was like, what in the world is going on? I, I asked somebody about that and they said, it took a, I mean, he doesn't like cold weather. That's a fact. I haven't run the numbers on what he performs in under 40 degrees. Mm -hmm. But it's like when I bitch about Tua, when he plays in rainy weather or snow and cold, like you got to factor that in. I wonder if Cleveland really knows that the kid doesn't like cold weather. Yeah. yeah, he's much better on that field turf, that kind of tra fast track, than he is on natural grass, which, I mean, in Cleveland, you're going to be playing eight of those games on natural grass. Sloshy. That works It'll out. be sloshy in Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be real sloshy, especially when you get to November and December. Let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about a safety who has now reset the market here with a big deal. This is the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, we saw a safety break the bank here recently this week. Pittsburgh Steelers All-Pro Safety Minka Fitzpatrick has now signed the richest contract for a safety in NFL history. The reported terms are four years, $73.6 million, $36 million guaranteed. Now, we'll see what the real meat of this contract is. I know you always point out the paragraph five, and that's really what matters here, but Big deal for Minka Fitzpatrick, who's worked out after the Steelers gave up a first-round pick for him to Miami a couple years ago. No doubt. And, and I think what we're seeing from Minka is the this is going to be the prototype safety that's got to go forward. Like everybody talks about the kid that that, that uh, the Ravens drafted from Notre Dame Hamilton. You know, you got to have this safety that to me, that's not the prototype. Unless you can take your safety and put them on the third corner or match them in man coverage against the back and feel like you can win against a tight end. And we'll see if this kid from Notre Dame can do it. 
But the reality of it is, is it, it didn't look like it coming out in the draft. And that's why I think he slipped. So Fitzpatrick, to me, is, is going to be the guy. A little bit of corner in his background, a lot of coverage mm-hmm. skills and range. I mean, essentially, this game is going to where you're going to play four corners back there. Now, they're going to call them safeties, but they got to be interchangeable. And they've got to be able to tackle. And that's what Fitzpatrick does. To me, it's the perfect safety that you want. He's got instincts. He's got range. He can play some man-to-man. You're not going to put him on Tyree Kill and think he's going to win. But there's certain matchups each week that you can match him on and feel comfortable with. So good for him. Good for the Steelers. Omar Khan's first move as the new GM. You know, pays him. You know, they get a guy that they feel really good about. And, And it's an important position for the Steelers with Mike Tomlin's defense. Yeah, no, I think this is just going to show that the safety position now is being more valued because we used to think that top of the market safeties were only getting about $10 million per year. I mean, this on average is an $18 million, even more than that uh, uh, per year deal here. So Minka Fitzpatrick, like you mentioned, he has a nose for the football always. He's always around the football forcing turnovers. The guys that really love this are probably... Cincinnati Bengals safety Jesse Bates and LA Chargers safety Derwin James who now see this deal and then go to their agents and say, all right, you got to at least match that. Right. And I think, you know, look, James, there's sometimes he can cover, you know, like Derwin James can't cover Waller. You go back and watch those tapes and then he struggles to cover him. But a lot of guys struggle to cover Waller. Yeah, it, it all depends on who you put against them. You know, they've got to have the ability to cover. You've got to be and, and have range. And, and like Mathau, I mean, Mathau, you know, uh, Honey Badger, he was this corner at, at, at LSU that moved mm-hmm. inside. He tackles well. He's smart. He gets everybody lined up. And so to me, I think that's where the game is going. You, you got to have that. The day of the Jamal Adams that yeah, I can't cover anybody, you know, the day of the, the kid that uh, Jonathan Abrams from the Raiders, I can't cover anybody, but I'm on the field, you know, and I'll hit you. Those are over with. They don't yeah. exist. And people say, well, could Ronnie Lott play today? Of course, Ronnie Lott could play today. He played corner. He started corner, you know, and then they moved him inside the safety. So that's what you're looking for, a guy that can play in space, can dominate in the middle of the field and tackle. The, the, the John Lynch-type safeties in the box, I think they're dinosaurs. Yeah, no, that, I completely agree. The more that this has become an, a passing league, the more those guys, they just get identified by the quarterbacks and they go right at them until you take them off of the field. Um, one guy who's not at minicamp hoping to get a big deal is Washington Commanders wide receiver Terry McLaurin. He is, it's an unexcused absence at minicamp for McLaurin there as he's hoping to get a deal. Head coach Ron Rivera said earlier this week, quote, it's just a matter of time. Anything you're hearing with McLaurin possibly getting a deal before training camp starts? You know, if it's just a matter of time, why aren't you there? You know, why aren't you there? You know, and and it's not like you are going to, well, I can't risk getting hurt. You know, you have a contract. Like, why would you not show up? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, if I were McLaurin, I I would be more concerned about, am I going to get the ball? You go back and look at Indianapolis's receivers last year, you know, and and their percentage of, of, of looks and catches with Carson Wentz at the quarterback position. I mean, it's a hard, hard thing to do. I, I think this is going to be a real challenge to feel like the Washington's going to solve their quarterbacking problems with Wentz, and it's going to affect McLaurin particularly. But, you know, look, I think McLaurin could be a great player. What, was he a third-round pick, Femi? I mean, this proves yep. the point that you can get as good receivers later in the draft. I mean, A.J. Brown and, and McLaurin, those are second- and third-round receivers. You don't have to have a top-five pick to get a gra- that guy that can make a difference. And I'm sure McLaurin and DK Metcalf in Seattle as well, probably looking at AJ Brown's deal that he got with the Philadelphia Eagles and saying, Hey, like we're in the same draft class time to pay me as well. 
And we'll see. Oh, I think Seattle pays DK Metcalf. I think there's no doubt they pay DK Metcalf. The the deal that I'm waiting for, and I've been told that it's going to happen, is like it is the is the Russell Wilson deal. I mean, and that's going to be 250 million fully guaranteed buttoned up money. Apparently, that's the next one coming. And you know, and so, and I think that was part of the impetus behind him leaving Seattle is because I don't think Seattle wanted to enter, want to get down that road. So now that the Broncos have sold, and I'm sure part of that sales deal with the Walton when they got when you looked at their books, they probably had it saying, "Okay, we're going to pay this guy X," so you know this coming in. My goodness! So that's going to be the new kind of going rate for these top tier quarterbacks is going to be 250 plus million guaranteed. I mean, if you're giving it to Deshaun Watson, who's, you know, who's still not sure he's going to even play football the next year, how can't you give it to Russell Wilson? I mean, like if you're Russell Wilson's agent, you're saying my guy has never done anything off the field. He's been a stellar player. He's won a Super Bowl. Like, how is that guy making more than me? How are you arguing that, Femi? How are you arguing? You can't. There's no, that's why all the owners are all pissed off at the Haslam family for the Watson contract. Like there was nobody else in that derby, Atlanta, Carolina, that was doing what they did. The reason they got him is because they did what they did. Yeah, no, that's 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 to me is to pay that sort of money. I get it. That's the going rate, but whew, that is a lot of guaranteed money for these quarterbacks. Speaking of the quarterbacks, I know you caught this earlier here. You sent this my way earlier this morning, but Chris Sims finalized his top forty quarterbacks list here, and the number one quarterback is Josh Allen, who I'm sure the Bills are very happy they paid last offseason. I don't have to do this three hundred million dollars in guaranteed money type of thing. But he has Josh Allen, number one, Patrick Mahomes, number two, Justin Herbert, three, Joe Burrow, four, Aaron Rodgers, five. Now, to me, there's a glaring omission in that top five. I mean, until this guy falls off, you got to put Tom Brady in the top five, in my opinion. Also, Justin Herbert. I don't think I don't think Sims has ever had Brady in the top five, which is I don't think I don't think I think last year, I don't know if he had him in the top 10. I mean, he, you know, I, I I don't think he's ever had him there. I respect Chris Sims because I know he actually puts in the work there. So having oh, a difference of oh, yeah. opinion and, you know, we all have our flavors of ice cream, but how much evidence do we need for Tom, from Tom Brady? If, if he's not in the top five, who is? I mean, it's like you could sit there and say, is he, who's the best quarterback of all time? Well, you know, who's the most talented quarterback of all time, Peyton yeah. Manning, or is it Brady? Who's got all these titles? I mean, you know, look, there's you know Manning didn't win titles is it the fault Manning was great you know but he, he only won two titles one of which was the defense one so I mean winning matters right so it, yeah, I think it, it does and, you know and and you you go back I mean I think to me I, I know Steve and Bond and I hope that things are going better at home for him and we certainly miss him and thank Elliot for filling in in this pod but you know, if you're a Buffalo Bill fan, those 13 seconds aren't going to. I mean, that's just going to be a killer because he could have. Yeah. He might have been. They might have won the Super Bowl if they got there. They might have. They clearly might have. Yeah. That the, to round out his top ten: Matthew Stafford six, Russell Wilson seven, Tom Brady eight, Dak Prescott at nine, Lamar Jackson at ten. I don't want to reveal who my number one quarterback is because we're going to talk blue chip starting on June 30th and quarterbacks will save that all the way to the end of the offseason. So we'll touch on that late August. So I don't want to reveal who I have as the best quarterback in the NFL. But to me, the one that really stood out here, number three for Justin Herbert, I absolutely love him. Number three is too high for a guy who hasn't made the playoffs yet. I just cannot justify putting you number three if you have yet to play in a playoff game. I got to see that first. Well, I mean, look, Derek Carr had a hell of a year last year. He's not even in the top 10. Yeah, he's, you know? he's at 11. And so you 
he's at 11. And so I, I agree. I think winning does matter. Mm-hmm. You know, and the MVP of the league two years in a row is five. You know, again, yeah. we'll put our quarterback list. I respect Christopher as much as anybody. I think I know he puts his work in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody, that's the beautiful thing about these polls. That's what's going to be the fun thing about when I get my ass ripped for my top 100 players. I'm sure they're probably <laughs> coming out of the woodwork. You know, like, how could you have that guy there? This guy's too low. Okay. You know, make your own list, you know, come mm-hmm. up with it. I, I mean, look, we can all talk about it. I think they're all, that's why, you know, you, you almost put them in clusters because, it's hard to delineate one from the other. I mean, if you had Rodgers or you had Allen, obviously Allen's younger. He's got a bigger career ahead of him. But there's nobody like Rodgers that puts the ball on the receivers. I mean, just look at the catch rate. The only guy that had no catch ratio number that was good was Scanling. I mean, he was 50%. Everybody else was incredible in Green Bay because he puts the ball where it can be catched. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's uh, everybody has a list like you mentioned. He even has the rookies on here, which, I mean, kudos to him for trying to rank those guys. We have yet to see them play. In, in the NFL, but Kenny Pickett is 39th there for Chris Sims, right above Drew Locke, who is coming in at 40th for the Seattle yeah, Seahawks. I, so. I don't know how you can rank Pickett ahead. Of, I mean, look, I don't like Locke, but I mean, <laughs> I've never seen, seen Pickett. Pickett. Like, where, where's Matt Corral? I mean, we're, we're not going to, I mean, I, I don't, you know, where's the, you know, so it's hard. But look, you got to make a list. You got to come up with some way. It's based on college, based on what you believe the projection is. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Yeah, we will talk about this thing. You're talking about your top 100 players that you might get ripped. Wait until you put out your blue chips, the quarterback episode. Oh, my and- God. I'll get- oh, yeah, <laughs> well, I'll have, well, I'll have our – I mean, we, you, you have no idea the running joke I've had with people in the NFL about this pro football focus list. Like, it's just, like, so good. Like, it's so good. I love it. It's like, are you kidding me? Anyway, it's, it's amazing. Um, let's take one final break. On the other side – I want to talk to you about Sopranos in 60. I haven't watched any episodes since finishing season one, but we never got to oh, it last week. We got to get to it this week. Great. Episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, Michael. We didn't do Sopranos in 60 last week. We ran out of time, so we figured we should do it this episode. I have now finished season one of The Sopranos. Excellent season. Um, Episodes 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 is what I watched last week. Episode 9, Boca. We hinted at that last episode. Um, just a terrific, terrific <laughs> television show. Uh, th- just like the whole situation with Uncle Junior, which if you haven't seen, I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast have seen it. Just absolutely funny. Uh, the soccer coach I thought was an interesting kind of a plot twist there. Uh, th- wasn't expecting the soccer coach slept with the girl. Did not see yeah, that coming yeah. as to why he was leaving for that job in Rhode Island. But I mean, they clearly the team was winning, so the. the Tony and the, the whole crew didn't want him to leave, but when you find that out, I mean, my goodness, that's uh, it's not something that you want <laughs> with, uh, no, with dealing no, with high school no. girls. I, I love in that one. I mean, uh, the, the plot line obviously changes, but I love what Paul Paulie's out in front of that guy's house giving him a television. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's the best scene. I mean, it's so good there. <laughs> He's but, like, we're just gonna no, leave this I, here. <laughs> yeah, we're just leaving this here. I, I thought the writing in one, Frank, the great Frank Renzulli wrote a lot of those episodes as they go through it. But I dream of Junie, Jeannie Kuzamana, I think is the last one. Uh, 
you know, uh, the, 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 the dream sequence with the girl from Italy, yes. you know, the, the, the dental and, and, you know, Carmela and him getting a fight over it. It's, I mean, it's just, and then of course, obviously the, 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 the shooting and there's so many great lines in it. When uncle Junior's at the, at the funeral parlor talking about this woman, you know, who gave him his first relation, his first sexual relations, you know, and it's <laughs> like, Oh my God, you know, what am I talking about? I mean, there's some great Uncle Junior lines in there. It really is. And then, of course, the cover-up, how how they all come over the house after Tony. They misfire on Tony. Yep. And the next thing you know, Junior's over there playing it. It's it's so good. It's the best. And, and, and the mom who is now, like, faking dementia to act like she doesn't remember anything. And the yeah. mom, it, to me, is just – it's just too much from her. And I don't know if it was a, an early indication. Like, within episode one, I was like, I don't think I like this character. And then oh, so the, like the, the bow that it puts on it in the finale and then Tony finally acknowledging it and confronting her about that and to put out a hit on your own son just because he's seeing a psychiatrist and I get it like you don't want Tony to be saying stuff everyone's worried about covering their own ass and all this thing because we're all in it but I mean to put out a hit on your own son that's next level. Well, the way she manipulated Junior's next level, too. Yes. She never really said to do it. You know, my favorite, probably one of my favorite scenes of the all the seasons is when Tony gets called in by the FBI and the great uh, Frank Pellegrini, the guy who owns Rayo's restaurant in, in Harlem, he's part owner of the restaurant. He's the FBI guy. His Frank, his Frank, I forget Frank's last name in the series, but when they sit down there and Tony says, I don't give a shit what's on the tape. Oh, Springsteen box set, you know, all that shit, you know, <laughs> and then they play it. And then Tony starts to listen to it and yep. hears it and knows it, you know, and then they, you know, I mean, to me, that scene, I don't know where they shot that scene. I asked agent Harris on Twitter, uh, who, the, the guy who played agent Harris, who's in that scene, like, where did you film that scene? It's like one of the great scenes. And the way that Frank comes out there and says, you know, you and I are not Gumbadi, Tony, you know, you on one hand, you know, we both come from the sunny peninsula, you know, you and Agent Rasso had a cola qui and Tony says a cola what what the get the kumquats out of your mouth you know it's just the whole dialogue <laughs> when I, I the first time I went to Rayo's the first time I went to Rayo's I watched that scene like 50 times and when I walked into Rayo's and I saw the great Frank and he uh, it was one of the great moments of my life he pinched my cheeks like like Sinatra would and mm -hmm. welcomed me to Rayo's and I went right into that you and I are not Gumbada Tony and I like loved it and he told me all about the scene and how they filmed it but he never told me where it was wow. so I, I loved that it was great and then you know the season one the way it ends with Paulie having poison ivy and yep. you know Mikey Palmese you know make the coffee you know, and he tells the girl, he tells his wife to make it's so good. There's so many great lines in season one. There you can just go back and forth all the time. Also, uh, what I've called him now is Father Hot Plates because the man is always after yeah. people's food. <laughs> he finally got oh, yeah. Carmela figured him out finally towards the end of the season. Of, okay, this guy, he's going around town seducing these women, trying to get these plates and everything. I, I just another. Yeah, it's just all about food. It's not about sex. It's all about food. You know, when I, I lived in, when I lived in my other house in Ocean City, we were right across the street from a, uh, a, a retreat home. Uh, it was called the Christian Brothers Retreat. It was mm -hmm. actually founded by the Christian Brothers. They were selling brandy when nobody else could. They made a fortune, you know, and, and they built this beachfront property, you know, and, and my house kind of sat right in between it so we could see the beach. But the, and, and so there was always priests there and we were always in the yard and we had this one priest, wonderful man. He would come over every day to get a martini like he'd see us out there. And the next thing you know, he was part of the fabric. 
you know, and they had no air condition over there. So whenever it was hot, he was like, can I come over and just stay at your house for there? Sure. Come on in father. You know, it's like, he just, mm. it was perfect. It, and they, they wrote that character so perfectly as, as I've seen it before. Yeah, no, I, I that, that's, he was just the guy. I'm like, this guy is up to no good. The minute you see him on camera, then Carmela sees it. She goes over with the, the whole food and then she's like, wow, I'm not the only one that's making food for this gentleman. Um, Christopher, who I've given a lot of criticism to uh, <laughs> throughout this first season, I actually did enjoy when he whacked Mikey P. Getting a little revenge yeah. for his guy, Brendan. I did enjoy that because Mikey yeah. P was another guy who I did not like. So Christopher getting that sort of revenge, yeah. I thought was a nice touch. So put one in Christopher's column for a little while. He went out He went out for a jog and he said he loved me. You know, take <laughs> really all he said was take a mite all. You know, it's the best. He loved me. He went for a jog. He loved me. I mean, it's so good. And then Uncle Ju you know, Chris, and then Baldy's got a poison ivy, which yep. is the classic. It's so <laughs> yeah, good. And then they're all having dinner at they're all having dinner at Vesuvio and, and he's caked with uh you know calmine lotion all over his body. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, really good. Uh the season one was really good. I can't wait to get into season two as these storylines start to progress even further and further. So um, I'll get back to that this upcoming weekend, probably after the U.S. Open. Good. U.S. Open's going on, maybe a Game 7 of the NBA Finals, uh, so it could be a stacked sports uh, Who do you calendar. like tonight, by the way? Who do you like in, Who do you like tonight? You like Ooh, Boston tonight? I think we go 7, so I'll, I think Boston wins. I think I would lean to Boston, and I'm close to possibly betting the over in that game. The yeah. under's been cashing, but I think we're getting a little low. I think saw here at Circa, I saw 209 and a half. So wow. uh, we'll see what happens. I, I Maybe it's a wide over. Game. I, I thought Boston's offense in the last game was horrible. And, yeah. and watching it with Muss and, you know, like they really had no flow. They really weren't calling a lot of – they were just kind of loose playing it. I like Boston tonight. I think this is going to be a hard one. Although, you know, when you beat – when you when the Warriors beat you and Curry doesn't have an A game, that, that's a problem. Yep. Yeah, that, I didn't think that was a good sign whatsoever. <laughs> like Curry, not only did he have a bad game, he didn't make a single three-pointer in forever – uh, first time in forever that's happened. So for you to lose that game, if they lose the series, that's the one they're going to be absolutely kicking themselves over losing game five out there in the Chase Center. Uh, but Father's Day is coming up on Sunday. So happy Father's Day to all the dads listening to the podcast. Happy Father's Day to you, Michael, uh, and to your Thank sons you, as well. Uh, happy Father's Day to my father, Abdul, uh, and Barbershop Mike. Happy Father's Day to him Barbershop, as well. Barbershop, yeah, we'll give him another one. We have a, he another one behind him, so it's good. Yeah, it'll be a great day. So we appreciate it. Yeah, happy Father's Day to all the fathers, the great the great things that they do and the provide. So it's it'll be a fun day. Yeah, can't wait for it. If we can get a Game 7 and the final round of the U.S. Open all wrapped up in one on Father's Day, it should be a oh, fantastic day. Yeah. Just Love pull it. up on the couch for about eight, nine hours and enjoy the theater. But that does it for this week's edition of the show. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to Vs, and Thank you to our producer, Elliot, for filling in for Stephen Bond. Thank you to you, Michael, and we'll talk next week. Thank you, fam.